This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and tell a friend to help them find Out of Water also. Welcome, friends, to another episode of the Out of Water Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lautenschlager, and joining me today, as he always does, is our pastor of education, Reverend Sam Kastensmith. And Sam and I are welcoming you to part eight, week eight of our message series, He Gave Us Stories, which is based on the parables of Jesus. And this week, we've got a little bit of a doubleheader. Um, if you got your study notes um, off the website last week, you saw that we were going to be looking at the parable of the dishonest manager, or uh, that's the ESV paragraph title. I think, Sam, you and I both like the unjust steward mm-hmm. better than dishonest manager. Um, and so we were going to cover that parable. Um, but we're going to be talking a little bit also about the parable of the Ten Talents because um, they're sort of related. Would, would you agree with that? Oh, totally. I mean, they're, they're coming across with more or less the same application. Right. Jesus is calling us to the same ethic. Right. And I think the parable of the Ten Talents is one that's uh, really familiar to people. And whereas the parable of the dishonest manager of the unjust steward, I'm just going to call it unjust steward. <laughs> whereas the parable of the unjust steward is subtractive. What the, what the steward does is, is a subtractive thing. In the ten talents, it's additive. It's like they take something and make more of it. Whereas the steward took something and made less of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, I feel like they, you know, that they're kind of two sides of the same coin and Jesus makes basically the same application from them. So um, the parable of the unjust steward is found in the first eight verses of Luke chapter 16. Um, and actually, I think I would say that the parable ends partway through uh, verse eight. Um, and as the story goes here, um, Jesus had just finished giving the disciples the uh, parable of the prodigal son. Mm-hmm. And so he continued uh, to he said as he also said to the disciples there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions and he called him and said to him what is this that i hear about you turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be manager so the uh, the first thing in this story is that this manager some had been caught uh, whether he was incompetent whether he was padding the bills or stealing from him or whatever he Mm -hmm. was doing, he wasn't going to keep his job anymore. Yeah. And so in the ancient world, when you had a manager, the way that I like to think of this is if you go back into the Old Testament and you look at stories like, you know, when Pharaoh allows Joseph to be his number two, Mm -hmm. he says, you're in charge of all of Egypt. You're in charge of all of my house, everything except the throne. And so Joseph is the one who then has the freedom to go out and set the prices and find the customers and do the advertising or whatever. You know, he's he's in charge of the business of Egypt. Of he doesn't the have to keep checking with Pharaoh. He doesn't have to keep Correct. going back to Pharaoh going, Pharaoh, this is my plan. What do you think? Joseph had the Pharaoh's authority. That's right. And so to understand, like when we think of a manager, you know, in today's day and age, we're thinking of like a manager of a restaurant that, you know, is given an employee handbook and go go do all this stuff. 
Well, this manager back in, in ancient times, they've got a lot of leeway. They're, they're basically running the show and the rich man is entrusting him to say, okay, here's, here's all of my possessions. Here's all of my property. Now you're in charge of being a good steward and going and making much of it. You right. know, grow the house, do good things with it. And so this guy has done something that interestingly enough, other people, not the, the, the rich man who owns all the stuff, doesn't notice that the manager is behaving improperly, but charges were brought to him that the man was wasting or scattering his possessions. And right. so that leaves us open to you know, a number of interpretations of what that means. Like you said, is, is he just a bad manager, a bad right. steward, and he's foolish in the way he spends money? Or is he you know, price gouging so that he can keep the excess money that he's charging and he's living a lavish lifestyle that's making people upset so they're complaining? Uh, the parable really leaves that to our imagination. There's a lot <laughs> in this parable uh, that's left to the imagination, which is why if you read commentaries, there's a lot of different interpretations. Yeah, and I think that the thing that, – that the tripping point is – that, and you'll see this, folks, as we get right into this, uh, what the manager does here next. But on the surface of it, you know, without – if you just read through it and said, um, is Jesus commending what the manager did, um, you would say – well, the you know it depends. If you if you see Jesus in the role of the master, it says that the master commends the manager for what he did. So it's like is Jesus holding up as an example to us something unjust, something that shouldn't have happened, and saying, "Look at this. You should do likewise." Um, and that makes people uncomfortable. I, I think that mm-hmm. they don't really know how to interpret it, um, and so they start forcing into it these different things to yeah. sort of make it a righteous act so that Jesus isn't endorsing something bad. Yeah, they try to make this an allegory like this is talking about the kingdom of God. And and the reality is this this is not I think both you and I agree this is not giving us an allegory where, you know, this guy is Jesus and this guy is, you know, the yeah. church or anything like that. And I think he makes that clear because at the end of the parable he says the sons of the world are more shrewd and dealing with their generation than the sons of light. So he's saying this parable is an example of how the sons of the world operate. You know, people of the world, people who don't know me, this is how they operate and they're more shrewd than the sons of light. So he kind of makes it clear this is not to be treated as an allegory. Jesus is not commending dishonesty. That's pretty clear when you get to the end of it. Verse 3, the manager, now in full panic mode, (laughs) and the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. And then there's a little pause here, I presume. (laughs) Verse 4, ah, I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So he's providing a golden parachute for himself here. Yeah, it feels it feels like an episode of American Greed to me. Does it? Like, oh my goodness! Like that show is always, you know, people are are taking money, they're living high on the hog, as my dad used to say, and you know everything is good. And then the moment that they sense everything crashing down, they start robbing Peter to pay Paul. I mean, everything starts getting really panicky, and that's how I imagine this manager. Yeah, like you know, he's I'm not strong enough to dig. In other words, he's probably old. He's too weak to go out and get a real job. And he's too ashamed to beg, which means he's got a pride issue. And he's right. like, me? <laughs> I can't do that. Do you know who I am? Yeah. 
like he's got some issues here. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that because, as you say, Jesus points to these guys and says, look, the sons of the world are more shrewd. I think that um, we have a pretty good understanding that this is how the world of finance operated even in the days of Jesus. Not a lot has changed, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> um, well, you know, I mean, if, if you have somebody who is a wealth manager, right, the very mm-hmm. wealthy people out there will have somebody who manages different aspects of their wealth, whether it's their stock portfolio or managing their different corporations or whatever. They'll just, they will have people whom they employ to make these kinds of day-to-day decisions. And these people are really concerned about one thing. I'm making a profit for the master. Mm-hmm. I'm making a profit for the boss. So not at a lot costs. has changed. Not a lot yeah. has changed. Yeah. yeah, it's it's profit motive at all costs. And yeah. when, when you see, a, when the world gets into that, it becomes a dog-eat-dog kind of gross place to live. Right. So here's what the manager has decided to do in verse 5. It says, So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. So there's a couple things I think that are interesting here. The first is I wanted to let people know that when it says 100 measures of oil and 100 measures of wheat in the ESV, it's not really giving you a really accurate idea of how much we're talking about there. But these are vast quantities of oil and of mm-hmm. wheat. So this is what the, these people, these debtors, are themselves wealthy. So this is mm-hmm. like one very wealthy man dealing with somewhat less wealthy men. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is high finance is what I'm getting at. There's there's lots of money being moved around here. The, the amounts we're dealing with here are large. Very large. Yeah. The, the, if you look at the ESV, there's a notation that this is 875 gallons of oil, which is <laughs> – that's, that's a, a lot. lot of and, oil. Yeah. And when you're talking about the ancient world, you know, they don't have pipelines and drills and all that stuff. So to produce that was significantly much harder and it's a thousand um, bushels of wheat that we're talking about. So this is tremendous amounts of labor, a large farm. This is this is big time. Yeah, he's he's dealing with big debts. Yeah. So this thing of writing down the debts, this is where the commentaries really start to diverge a little bit on what they say about this parable. Some of them were saying that. Um, that this was a sort of stealth interest. Uh, under the terms of the Mosaic Law, a Jew was not allowed to charge another Jew interest. If you borrowed money, if, if Sam and I are both Jewish men at that time, and Sam loans me some money or loans me a field that I can go plant in, he's not allowed to charge me interest on what he loans me. I, I pay him back. Mm-hmm. But there's no interest involved. And so there was a practice that occurred among some where the the base amount was inflated. So it, it was a sort of stealth interest. And in that interpretation of this, the those commentaries were suggesting that what the manager did was actually a righteous act, that by carving away the stealth interest, he was doing the right thing. He was obeying the law. 
Um, and I think, again, that's caused by them having this really strong desire to somehow allegorize this parable. They want mm-hmm. to have the master be Jesus. They want to have us be the manager or something like that. And when you try to allegorize this parable, you get yourself caught up in that. And, mm-hmm. and, and I'm, not, I'm not crazy about that interpretation. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. So Jesus is telling a story. I mean, it, we call it the parable of the dishonest manager or the unjust steward for a reason. And, and a lot of these commentaries want to clean it up and explain, well, this is how you know, this was going and, and make it as though it's not as bad as it is. And Jesus, I think, means for us to see, no, it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's meant to be bad. I right. want you to see yeah. that it's bad. So the other two interpretations are uh, there's there's one, and this is I think the one that you favor, which is mm-hmm. that the uh, manager was sort of in the custom of the tax collectors of the time was inflating the bill, and then when you know he if the if the guy really owed a hundred, um, well really what the rich man was expecting was fifty, not a hundred. You know the rich man was told, yeah, you're going to get fifty from this guy, but the manager had told the debtor. A hundred, and yeah. so when the debt was paid, it'd be fifty for you, fifty for me, <laughs> you know, that, yeah. that kind of thing. <laughs> and it was price gouging. So, like what you talked about with the tax collectors, when when Caesar or the Roman governors in a particular region would tell the tax collector at a particular booth, he would say, "I want you to generate for me, you know, ten thousand dollars or something like that." Well, the tax collector could put out whatever he wanted to. The governor only cared that he got his 10000 but the right. tax collectors were notorious for overcharging and milking people dry to where you know they would walk away with a huge kickback because they were overcharging. And you saw that with soldiers. Uh, it was a common practice back in those days. And so that's where I walk – that's where my imagination goes with this passage. And, and I think – you felt that way because of the audience that was there listening, right? Mm-hmm. There were Pharisees yeah. hanging around. There's Pharisees that are there. And so the Pharisees, like that's one of the charges that Jesus is always laying on the Pharisees. And more ways than one, they collect and they require more than God does. And so they add to the law to sure. require more mm-hmm. from people. They add to, to the requirements that people were supposed to give. And so this would have been like right up in their grill saying, you know, these this unjust stupid does what you do. You add burdens. You add debts to people. Um, and I think that's where he's going. And then the other side of that is the rich man doesn't know any better. Like he doesn't know that the unjust steward is off doing something wrong. So, I mean, if he was just a terrible manager, you would expect the, the rich ruler to be like, why are my profits down? Yeah, or, you yeah. know, to notice something. But it's not the rich man who notices. It says charges were brought to him that the manager was wasting his possessions. So he's getting everything he expects, but all the people around who are being abused are like, hey, look at your manager. Look at his lavish lifestyle and look how we're being oppressed. Can you look into this? And all of a sudden, the the, the rich man is like, hey, wait a minute. I want to see the books. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Something's going on here. Well, and, and you make a good point about the Pharisees because, uh, you know, just as an example – uh, in the law, we're told to remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy, don't do any work on the Sabbath. Well, the Pharisees came along and said, all right, so let me, let's start giving you a list of things that are work and not work. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and there was a, there, there became a phrase known as a Sabbath day journey, which referred to how far could you walk on a Sabbath before it was work? Um, you know, like that's the farthest you could go. This many steps you could walk on the Sabbath and you were keeping the Sabbath. If you walked even one more, 
then you are violating the Sabbath. And that's the Pharisees at work, is that God gives them the spirit of the law, and the Pharisees come out and give you lots of letters to go with it. <laughs> Just because I find this so fascinating. As you were talking, I was like, oh, i got to find this. And I found it in time, so I'm going to read it. Uh, but in the Talmud, the Talmud collects you know all these oral traditions from scribes mm-hmm. and rabbis about the Sabbath and what you were allowed to do, like what you're talking about. And so this, these are things that you're not allowed to do according to the extra rules that the Pharisee types imposed on you. So it's not just the Sabbath that you're supposed to rest, but you're not allowed to do laundry. You're not allowed to cook. You're not allowed to write or erase or tear anything. You're not allowed to <laughs> – really – You're not allowed Mm -hmm. to tie knots. You're not allowed to untie knots. You're not allowed to sew. You're not allowed to separate threads. You're not allowed to measure cutting, like if you have specific cutting. You're not allowed to smooth out materials. You're not allowed to light a fire. You're not allowed to extinguish a fire. So if your house catches on fire, (laughs) like what are you saying? It's ridiculous. And so there's the famous story where Jesus heals the man, and he says, take up your mat and walk, Right. And the Pharisees are furious because this is happening on a Sabbath, and one of the requirements is you're not allowed to carry any item between property lines. And so when he says, take up your mat and walk, they're not in awe of what God has just done by healing this man. They're furious that this man is breaking the Sabbath by carrying a mat across property lines. That's how insane they were at adding to the requirements of God. Yeah. So they were pros at that, and uh, and and there were Pharisees that were there in the crowd listening. And if you read past the end of this parable and its interpretation, you'll see that Jesus immediately got into it with the Pharisees. So mm-hmm. uh, there was certainly a sense in which, yeah, Jesus was talking to his disciples, but he was also talking to the Pharisees. He knew he knew they were listening. Oh, for sure. For sure. The, and the parable before this, the parables of the lost coin and the lost sheep and the, the lost son or the prodigal son, they're all directed right at the Pharisees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the third interpretation, just since we're on a roll here, the third interpretation is there's a there were a group of commentaries that said that neither of those first two things were correct, that in fact the unjust steward or dishonest dude manager, he had simply written down some of the debt. Um, and and that by doing so, he'd put the rich man, the master, into an uncomfortable position because all of a sudden the rich man was being perceived as as benevolent and mag and magnanimous and look he's forgiven them so much of this debt and yay you know goodwill and so he's between a rock and a hard place he can't go he can't go rescind the forgiveness and reinstate the debt um, he also can't come out and crucify the manager publicly because then he doesn't get any of the goodwill as the rich man that that right now is basking in the adulation and so that's and they do that because that's really what they're saying here in the first half of verse 8 where after this whole thing takes place it says the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness and so what they're looking to do is explain that and essentially say that the master is saying hey Well played, like like you played <laughs> yeah. me. You know, you you got away with it here. Um, but I think that we don't necessarily have to read into that necessarily. Mm-hmm. The manager can simply be saying that was pretty smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and by the way, the application of what you take away from this depend. It doesn't really matter whether you take you know the second theory or the third theory. The application is all the same. You right. know. Uh, the, what this guy is doing is he's using 
the master's business and all right. of his possessions and wealth, and he is doing something to ingratiate himself with these debtors. And he's saying, look, you know, I'm going to lead the charge and I'm going to allow you to be forgiven this great amount of debt so that these people think, oh, my goodness, Sam, he's such a great guy. Thank you so much, Sam. And when the day comes when the axe falls on my head and I get fired from my job, it's like, oh, no, so that can't happen to Sam. Let's help him out. Right. And so, you know, he's <laughs> – he's one, he's if, – if theory three is right and he's really kind of binding the manager because I'll tell you a story that just popped into my head when you were <laughs> using that – the third theory, you know, that he's made the the master seem magnanimous and like he's wonderful. I remember a time where I was headmaster of the school, and it wasn't somebody doing this on purpose to to gain something from me, but somebody had miscommunicated that I was awarding a full scholarship to their child. And the mom showed up in my office, and she came into my office, and she was in tears of gratitude overwhelmed with emotion thanking me for extending a scholarship to her daughter when I had absolutely no idea what she was talking about. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> and I will tell you that ultimately we got to the bottom of it and it got straightened out. But to tell this woman, no, 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 you're not getting that gift was I felt like the worst human being on the planet. And so I'm imagining you know, yeah. this rich man having yeah. these debtors coming to him and being like, oh, my gosh, thank you so much. I can't believe what you've done for me. It, that's kind of a very, that's a very hard situation to kind of backpedal from. Yeah. So whichever of the you know whether you whether you think the the manager gave up his his padding of the bill whether you think he just bound the rich man with his cleverness whichever of those you want to walk away with that's fine because the point is still the same Jesus finishes his thought in verse eight he says for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light so the sons of this world are taking what they've been given. And they're using it to make more and advance more. Like they're leveraging what they have. They're more shrewd with their generation than you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're clever. They get what they want, and they're they're tactical about it. They're zealous about it. They're mission focused. And I think this is like you know I was reading a commentary where they were talking about you know in the world where there's a profit motive. You look at mass, you know, corporations like you know. Pepsi and Coca-Cola and McDonald's, you know, they can get around the world. They can have their brand. They can get loyalty. They're in every nook and cranny of, you know, every country on the face of the planet, it seems like, and they're motivated by profit. And what he's saying is, man, if if my people were as shrewd as the sons of the world and advancing their cause just based on their profit motive, if if your motive of advancing the kingdom if you were that zealous, if you were that shrewd, you know the church would be exploding. And so yeah. he's he's saying, man, th- look at look at the way they work. They they will stop at nothing to get their mission accomplished. Mm-hmm. And you know the church oftentimes is is more apathetic. Yeah, you know I see a kind of connection there to back to the parable of the hidden treasure, uh, because the point of that was you need to be able to recognize the value of the kingdom of heaven. And I think that in this case, when we're, when we're looking at this and saying, why aren't the sons of light as motivated and as shrewd and clever and dedicated as the sons of this world, some of it may be that we, and I'm pointing the finger at me now too, the mm-hmm. sons of light, 
we don't correctly value what it is that we've been given. We don't correctly value this treasure that we have. If we saw it for as valuable as – because in that parable, mm-hmm. what was the point there? They sold all that they had. They gave mm-hmm. everything to possess it. And, and Jesus is trying to get that point across to say, you really need to value what you've been given correctly. Mm-hmm. And when you do, the, the desire to be on mission will consume you. Yes, just as the desire, you know, the profit motive consumes the world, or, or whatever the worldly motive is. Yeah. It's you know, it's that's a pretty clear point that I think he's pulling out of this parable, no matter how you read it. Um, and then in verse nine, and this is a little oddly worded in the English, but I think it's the it says, and I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. And it makes it kind of sound like that sort of idea of make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, quote-unquote, little air quotes there, makes it sound like you're supposed to go down and rob the bank first so that you've got <laughs> the money you have as unrighteous wealth. But that's not really what we're what that means there at all. For one thing, it's not just talking about money. So yeah, that word there is literally mammon. If you if you like the King James version or some of the, the yay, more traditional, King James, yay. yeah, you'll see that word mammon, unrighteous mammon, and the the root behind that, and the reason why it's not silver or something like that is mammon has a a deeper meaning to it. It actually comes from an Aramaic word, and that Aramaic word means that which you put your trust in, you're hoping in it. It's your ultimate treasure. It's it's what defines you. It's what gets you excited, right? And so it's saying, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. And you're thinking to yourself, like, it it does. It makes it sound like, oh, I'm supposed to go rob a bank and then share it with people so (laughs) I make friends. But what it's saying is, okay, if if I had, if you had to make a list of what is unrighteous wealth, what is unrighteous mammon out there? And I mean, you could, you could make a list. Well, money is an obvious one. People put a lot of their trust in money. Uh, fame, power, prestige, you know, your reputation, image, all those kinds of things. There's people who are driven by all of those addictions that, where it's just – it consumes you, your zeal for this. And what it's saying is I want you to go make friends for yourselves by giving away the world's unrighteous mammon. Mm-hmm. And so make them realize that your God is so precious to you and you have so much in your God that you're willing to give away the world's gods. So if, if somebody's ultimate is money and they see you being generous with what they think is the ultimate meaning of life and you're just giving your money away, it'll blow their mind. Sure. If if somebody is just so busy, but and and they're you know their time, and you make time for them, and you're willing to sacrifice of yourself and give them time, they'll be blown away. Or somebody who's absolutely just crippled or you know obsessed with image, and they watch you willingly you know serving others and not getting credit for it, or you know being ridiculed for something that you do that's righteous, and they think, man, why would you do that? The reason behind why you do that is because you serve something that's far greater than your money, that's Mm -hmm. far greater than your image, that's far greater than anything this world has to offer. And what it's saying is when you do that, it's evangelistic. Yeah. When you're generous, it wins people. You win friends. And then the second part of this, uh, this verse is the beautiful part 
it says, so that when it fails, well, when what fails? When the unrighteous mammon fails, because if, you're, if your greatest treasure in life is anything but Jesus, guess what? It fails. It, it's going to fail. Yeah. It's a guarantee to fail. You can't find an exception to that. And so what he's saying is, if you live generously and you give away the world's unrighteous wealth, unrighteous mammon, to win friends for yourself, well, guess what? All that stuff is going to fail. And when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. And you have to stop for a minute and say, what in the world? What, what is he getting at? Well, all those friends that you make by giving away the world's unrighteous mammon, the, the, the people who are one to your mission, when all, their st- when all this stuff fails and you go to heaven, guess who's going to be there to greet you? Yeah, those people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it's, it's talking about heavenly kingdom. You know, Give it away to win some so that when all this stuff fails and you go to heaven, guess who's there? They will be there to receive you into the eternal dwellings. Right. That's that's a, I love that. So uh, Jesus finishes up with uh, verses ten through thirteen, which are which, uh, frankly, give us very clear teaching that essentially backs up what we've just been saying. Jesus mm-hmm. goes on to say, "One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth." Who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Mm -hmm. And then in verse 13, this is a very famous verse, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You know, I think it is. A, I think it's a very clear statement here that Jesus is saying that um, you can't have money as your god. If the unrighteous mammon, as you said, Sam, is your ultimate, if that's your reason for existing, then you can't have it be that, and at the same time serve God. It, they really are mutually exclusive. Like, and what this is not saying is you can't be a wealthy Christian. That's not what it's saying. It's saying you cannot serve God and some other treasure at the same time. Right. You can't because when you serve God, what does God call you to do? Right. He calls you to treat all of your other treasures as as just tools that are to be spent in the sure. pursuit of the kingdom of heaven. And so, if you're but if you're serving money. Well, money is going to require you if you want more money and that's your master and you need more and more and more and more. It is going to require you to do some things that God prohibits you from doing. You know, God tells you to be charitable with your money. <laughs> but if money's your God, it's going to say, no, don't give me away. You know? <laughs> it's, it's like commands you. And so they, they really are mutually exclusive. If you're serving God, all other treasures in your life, the time, the, the talent, the, the fame, the power, whatever, it's all on the table and it's all to be used for him however he commands them right. to be used. So they be, these things just become tools. But if any one of those things that's on the table becomes the master, it will require you by definition to put God in second or third or fourth or fifth place right. so that you can serve this thing. Yeah, we saw that uh, last week with the parable of the rich fool. The problem mm-hmm. wasn't that he had a lot of wealth. The problem was that he relied upon his wealth for his security and that he didn't use, you know, when he had so much wealth that it was literally bursting his barns, it never occurred to him that, 
I should take some of this and help the poor and the hungry that are around me. Because there were a lot of people that were in that condition in first century Israel. He could have done great good with that. And instead, mm-hmm. he said, nope, going to make some bigger barns. So it really wasn't the wealth that was the issue. And, and Jesus is saying the same thing here, too. He's not saying that you can't have money. But he is saying you can't serve money and mm-hmm. serve God. And I think that's yep. very true. So the parable of the talents is a related parable. Um, We're looking at it in Matthew chapter 25. Um, And here, Jesus is talking about a man who's going on a journey. It says, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one, there's three servants. To one, he gave five talents. To another, two. To another, one. To each according to his ability. Then he went away. And it says that he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money, literally buried it in the ground. (laughs) So um, now just to kind of, again, like we talked about with the oil and the wheat, just to get some perspective here. If these talents, it would be either a talent of silver or a talent of gold. If these were the the more expensive ones, Sam, these were the talents of gold. What kind of money are we talking about these guys being entrusted with here? Well, well, they say a talent is 75 pounds. And so if you do the math, there's 75 pounds, 16 ounces to a pound, and gold right now is worth a little bit more than $1,900 per ounce. Wow. So, yeah. So, <laughs> so, so you do the math and you find that every single – each of these talents, if they're gold, would be about $2.3 million. <laughs> so if there's five of them, we're talking about $11.5 million. Wow. Um, so this these aren't like servants that are like, like peons or, right. you know – this is very these are, much these like are managers. these managers. Yeah, That's absolutely so. yeah. right. Very much. Yeah. This is a massive responsibility. He is, and even if it's silver, um, you know, a talent of silver would be thirty thousand, and so he would be entrusting one of these guys with five talents, so one hundred and fifty thousand. That's no small chump change either. So, no matter how you slice it, these servants are managers of pretty significant investments from. From the master. Now, we talked about before we turned the microphones on uh, or before we started recording, uh, because if we didn't have the microphones on, we couldn't talk. Um, but <laughs> we, we talked about this before we started recording, and in that, we were talking about the fact that the master in this parable is probably best understood as being the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is. I think it has to be. This is an allegorical parable mm-hmm. then. Yeah, because when you get to the end, he is he is claiming the ability to grant things that only Jesus could grant. Right. So I think this one shows itself as a as an allegory that is absolutely Jesus and people. Right. So if we're understanding then uh, this situation here, Jesus was going to leave this world and did leave this world, um, and he's coming back at some point. But in the meantime, we have been entrusted with something that is of enormous value. Again, we've been entrusted with this gospel ministry. And you know, he says right here that he gives it to each one according to his ability. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that's a comfort or should be a comfort to the people that are listening to the podcast because Jesus is acknowledging 
I understand that not all of you are preachers like Tom or Sam. Not all of you are great musicians like Ryan. Um, I, I understand that each of you has differing abilities and differing opportunities and that sort of thing. So the expectation is that each would, would do what they could according to their ability. Um, mm-hmm. And frankly, for somebody like myself, that's a comfort because I don't have to compare myself then to anybody else. I don't have to look at what you do and say, am I doing as much as Sam? I have to say, am I doing for the Lord everything that I can do? Mm-hmm. And he meets you where you're at. Yeah. And he's he's going to come. You have talents that <laughs> I I could not replicate. I mean, there's there's tons of stuff with technology and communication and the way that you write and do all these kinds of things that I could never do. And vice versa. Like you wouldn't want a church filled with a bunch of Sams. That would be a, <laughs> be yeah. a miserable place. <laughs> but, but like, you know, there's people I know that are doing web design and they use that. There's everybody yeah. use, uses what God has entrusted them to, to be on mission. And I apparently have the spiritual gift of breaking things up into lists of five. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's a, the reference to personal worship for yes. those of you out there. Five yes. days, and he's very talented at it. I, I will tell you that. <laughs> I can I can take even the smallest topic and slice it up into five distinct things because we've got to have five days worth of meditation. So, it's <laughs> uh, good stuff. So here, what we have is uh, the master had entrusted them with this wealth, uh, and then it says, verse nineteen. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And that well done, good and faithful servant is, of course, the thing that is echoed so many times at memorial services and other things, those are the words we want to hear from God mm-hmm. at the end of our lives. Yeah. It's, I've heard that at many a funeral. Yeah. Well done, good and faithful servant. And so what, what produced this was he came forward and said, you gave me five. I made five more. The next guy comes forward. It says, and he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. Listen to this. The response is exactly the same. His Mm -hmm. master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And I, you know, I, I want to pause for a second and just, you know, recognize the fact that here you have a guy who made five talents and a guy who made two talents, and the master, the Lord, is equally pleased, Sam, with with both of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, so it's like you know what we'd mentioned a minute ago. He gave them according to what they were able to. You know, he met them where they're at, and they produced with what they could, and. He's thrilled with it, yeah. you know, and I, I do. I think that there is, like you said, there's a comfort in that, yeah. Um, and and that, you know, you, God is not expecting you to single handedly carry the kingdom on your shoulders, <laughs> you know, and be that amazing. wouldn't go like, well, no. <laughs> yeah, he's he is going to give you responsibilities and opportunities and expect from you to make good of opportunities and responsibilities. 
according to your ability. Like right. he doesn't right. – he's not a cruel taskmaster that says, everybody, 15 talents and I'm going to expect this of you. Like he meets you where you're at. There's he's not, tender. There's no quota. You know, right. the, the quota is to to use the abilities that you have. There's not the, there's no number that we're trying to hit. Mm-hmm. And then we have number three, and that's a little bit more problematic. The last guy who comes up down in verse twenty four. Now Matthew twenty five verse twenty four. He also who had received the one talent came forward and said, "Master." I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. The first thing that we have to see here is that they, this guy is essentially accusing his master of something that the master was not. Because if this master is anything, Sam, he's not a hard man. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he just – with we just saw this with the other two servants. He gave one of them five, one of them two. The first guy made five. The second guy made two. He greeted them both equally. He was equally pleased with them. This is not a hard man. This is an understanding man. This is a reasonable man. So this third servant, the first thing he reveals is, I don't know you at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, just the fact that he comes forward and the way that he describes him, um, you know, there's – that when he says you're a hard man, the word hard there, it's, it's when you get into the studying the actual Greek word behind it, the root of that word means dry. And so it translates it hard because like you, if you imagine wood, when it dries up, it becomes very hard. It becomes rigid. It becomes stiff. It becomes inflexible. And there's a lot of people who have a relationship just to take this allegory in a particular direction. There's a lot of people who see God that way. You know, yeah. that that he is just up there calling balls and strikes, and he is absolutely indifferent as to whether or not people go to heaven or hell, and he is ready to judge, and he is inflexible, and the law is on you, and you feel condemned, so you despise religion, and you're not going to serve it because you feel like you're set up for failure from the start. That's how this man sees God. And you see the very first words out of his mouth reveal how he sees the Lord, which is precisely why he's unfruitful. Right. He doesn't feel the liberty to try anything. He doesn't feel like he can like he can do anything. And so you know there's when we talk about grace and works, you know, like because this is another one of those parables where when you finish it, it's like, wait a minute. So if I don't do something, then I don't go to heaven. Is that what this is saying? Hmm. And it says it's all about how you respond to the Lord. Right. You know the first two. If you the first two that are given the five talents or the two talents, they feel the freedom to go out and do big things. Right? right. They they risk it. What what would have happened if? What do you think would have happened if they went out and and tried something really big for the master and it didn't make something? You know, but but they felt the freedom to do that and they wanted to honor the master. You know, that would be, you know, something different. Whereas in this case, it's like, oh my gosh, he is so stiff. He's so rigid. He's so inflexible. I just don't even want to deal with it. Right. And, you know, it reveals a heart that has never really met the Lord because when you meet the Lord, that's not who he is. You know, I forget which uh, – these are starting to run together for me <laughs> now. I forget which week it was, but there was one of the weeks where the parable that we were doing came right after that passage where you had these 
you know, or talked about the judgment where people came before the Lord and said, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons yeah, and do two mighty, builders? You know, the two builders, right. Didn't we do all these mighty works in your name? And the Lord said, Depart from me, I never knew you. So the idea is that the the works if if the relationship is not there, if he isn't somebody if you don't know him and he doesn't know you there's no point in working <laughs> because there's no work you can do that is going to be able to earn his favor. His favor comes to you free, freely given. It's, you know, it's, it is, it's not based on anything that we do. We know him. He knows us. We have this relationship and then valuing rightly what it is that he's given us. Then we go out and we do the best we can with it. We try to do great things for the kingdom, except for number three here, who buried it in his backyard. <laughs> yeah, and and the thing is, like, he not only buries it in his backyard, but what is he doing? Like, he's he's enjoying all the privileges of living in the master's, yeah, you know, mansion, right? Yeah. So he's he's yeah. waking up in the morning and he's putting his feet on the coffee table and he's watching soap operas all day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. While the while the other guys are out working, and he's basically just stealing. He's taking all the blessings of the master. He's he's got you know abilities and things that he should be employing, but he's choosing. What, and he will be called a slothful servant. So he's choosing to just steal essentially, and not use the talents, and not right. do anything. Right. Um, well, let's get into the master's response. Then the master answered him in verse twenty six. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. And I want to stop for a second and say, I tried to read it that way. There's a question mark. There's a question mark at the end of that sentence. The master is not agreeing with him. The master is not saying, I am a hard man. <laughs> you know, he's mm-hmm. not saying I reap where I've not. So he's, he's, it's like he's firing it back to him as a question. He's like, that's what you think you knew about me, right? You knew that about me? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this is where, as you mentioned earlier, we understand now that this master is in the place of the Lord because he's passing a judgment on someone that only the Lord Jesus can pass on them. Mm-hmm. And that, that weeping and gnashing of teeth is used, used elsewhere to talk about eternal judgment. So it's very clear that this is an allegory. Um, and you know, the, one of the things that just to hit this again, you know, when, when the servant accuses him and he says, you reap where you have not sown and you gather where no seed is scattered, that doesn't make any sense, right? Like why, yeah. would, you, why would you reap? Where you haven't sown, if you right. haven't put seed down, why would you expect to find plants growing up? And essentially, what the servant is saying is, you expect the impossible. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're one. You're going to get every possible piece of wealth. You're going to find it wherever it is, and you know it's impossible. Like this, this is too much. Like your your standards are too high. Your ability is too much for me. What could I possibly add? So I just quit before I even can start. Um, and that's 
you know, I think just to drill down on this again, I think that's where if if you have a relationship with God that is purely religion and not relationship, you will land exactly where this guy is. And it goes like this, and I know this, by the way, because I've been there. You know, you can think, I'm, I'm going to be worthy of God, and I'm going to try, and I'm going to please him. And I'm gonna, what, is, what does he require of me? Let me read up on it. Okay, he, he requires me to do this and this and this. And then you run off and you think, okay, I'm going to earn God's favor. And before the day's done, <laughs> you know, you realize, my, I, I can't. I can't, like, you know, I, I can't measure up. This, this, And if you see, well, that's all the Lord wants from you is just straight-up obedience. There's nothing more to this religion business than just he wants my obedience. He wants a servant. I can never measure up. He's hard, so I quit. And there are so many people who walk away from the faith because they don't recognize that the master is not just about being a taskmaster, right. you know he is he's a he's a master who willingly becomes the servant, who willingly dies for you. That there's that there's freedom to try big things mm-hmm. and even to fail, and there's grace there. But this guy takes that perspective of why why bother? This is right. too hard, and you're too rigid. I'm going to fail no matter what. So let me just bury my talent. You know, and it 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 really does kind of come back to relationship. Um, if you know, if my father asked me to do something, um, especially when I lived under his roof, but even today, if my dad called me and asked me to do something, I would, I would do it for him if I could, you know, because he's my father. We have that relationship. I love him. I, he loves me. Um, he's taken care of me my entire life, you know, but if somebody I don't know, like my phone rings and, and I answer the phone and they're like, uh, yeah, is this Mark? Yes, it is. I need you to come mow my lawn. I'd be like, um, who are you? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, I mean, if somebody out of the blue asks you to do something, um, and I mean, okay, don't, let's not, any, any illustration breaks down if you take it too far. <laughs> so it, I understand if somebody says, hey, Mark, uh, would you toss me one of those bottles of water that's sitting right next to you? Yes, I'm going to do that. You know what I'm getting at here, which is mm-hmm. if somebody asked you to do something that required you to go above and beyond, to go out of your way, to to make an investment of your own time and ability for them, if they had a relationship with you, you would do that for them probably. Um, mm-hmm. And if they did not have that relationship with you, then you would not. So there's not this sort of, you know, it's, we're not being unclear in these things when we say that our, you know, our standing with God is based upon our relationship with Him, but that relationship is the basis from which grows this gratitude and this desire to serve Him. And what He's saying in these two parables is part of that is taking what I've given you and going out and making the most of it. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that, that separates the first two, the, the guys that you know get this, the talents and they run off and do big things and they double what the Lord had given them or what the, the master had given them, like you wonder what is the difference between what they had, you know, what they knew and this last servant. And there's the servant, the third servant, the one who's the wicked one, tells you why he didn't. And it's – he says, I didn't do all this stuff. It's at, right at verse 25. He says, I was afraid and yeah. I went and hid your talent in the ground here. And, and so like – why is he afraid? And why were the first two not afraid? 
It's it's like they know the master's character. They know right. that they can run right. off and do mm-hmm. those things. Where the third one does not trust the master. Yeah, you know, and so he's afraid. He thinks that he is. It's just punishment. That that's all this is about. That there's no relationship. That you can't rely on his good character. And so he's afraid, and he just gives up before he can even start. And he's driven by fear, not love. So that's uh, that's kind of where we find ourselves with these parables. Is we have to, you know, the first question we have to ask ourselves is, do we know our master? You know, do we know the character of the master? Um, you know, do we understand his heart? Do we see his care for us? And then, you know. Are we able to understand to perceive what it is that he has given us? Um, I think a lot of times, you know, there's people who don't do things not because they're servant number three here, <laughs> not because they're like you're a hard man, Jesus, uh, not because they're hiding and burying things in their backyard, but because they really don't. They they look around and they're like, I I don't I don't have anything. I, I don't know, mm-hmm. but the message of this parable is he gave talents to all of them and mm-hmm. and you know and again talent doesn't mean like talent in america's got talent we're talking about a measurement but i think it's kind of interesting that that's the word because he gave to each of them the same thing different mm-hmm. amounts but the same thing so god has given all of us something that we can use for him yeah so i've got i got a question for you that i just i've I think is fascinating when you come to the end of this parable in verse 28 when he says so take the talent from him the wicked servant and give it to him who has the ten talents one of the things that there's a couple of things in that that I find really fascinating but you notice that when he comes when the when the servant who was given five talents and he made five talents more and he comes with the ten talents to report to his master the master apparently didn't take the ten talents, right? You know? Right. So, notice twenty eight says, "Give give it to him who has the ten talents." In other words, my servant still has it, and that's one of the dynamics about the kingdom of God that is so absolutely wonderful. And you find this in the scriptures: is our mission is to bring glory to God, right? Like right. that's what He wants us to do. He deserves all glory. He deserves all credit. He's not a megalomaniacal tyrant. He just deserves it by nature of the fact that He is who He is. But when we glorify Him, you know, like it says this in in the writings of Paul and Thessalonians that He turns around and His mission statement is so that He can then turn around and share the glory with us. Yeah. Through no we don't earn it. We don't deserve it. It's all His and yet he's so generous that what he does is turn around and share that glory back with us. And I think in this this story, it's it's like, you know, the the one who didn't make anything, it's not that the master's going, I could have had more money. I need more money. You notice he's not interested in the talent. After all, he gives it to the one who has the ten talents. It's right. not like it's some desperation of him to have more. Yeah. But he wants to see us growing and snowballing in the the blessings and in the resources and in the advancement of the kingdom that he's laid before us. And so at the end of this, there's a there's a real generosity that for the faithful tends to like exponentially snowball. Right. You know, and it's like pursue me and you will find abundant wealth, a, a, a spiritual, you know, everlasting, imperishable wealth. 
But if you don't do anything, if you just bury the talent, you don't live for me, but you just mooch off the blessings and you live a life without consequence, at the end of the day, you will have absolutely nothing and you'll be cast out into darkness. And that's, you know, you've got a choice, again, of where you invest your life. One of them leads to an infinite return on investment to be really crude. And the other one is guaranteed to lead you to absolute bankruptcy. And if the sons of the world can do it, so can the sons of light. Yeah. Yeah. And think about this. One One of my very favorite things about that first parable, just to go full circle back to that parable, is you know that's that's like bizarro world it's it's showing you the broken world and the way that people in this world are can be unjust managers and even make a name for themselves and surround them with friends and do things unethically to get ahead and what Jesus is saying if you stop for a moment and think about the mission that Jesus has given to us because the circumstances are the same in both of these parables you find that there's the rich man who has all the possessions well in both cases like you could see that okay that's God he's that is really true no matter which how you read the parables God owns everything all of our money all of our talent everything that we have and everything that we are comes from the hand of God to us, right? Like, I don't think any Christian would deny that. And so, we're stewards. We're definitely stewards of what he's given us, the talents or, or whatever it might be. Like, all of the things that we have in our life, we're stewards to manage for the sake of God's kingdom, Mm-hmm. And so what the parables are calling us to do is to live in a way that uses the resources that he's given us, all of our wealth, power, fame, reputation, image, all of it, and we're to invest it for the sake of the kingdom of God. And this is the cool part, the upside down part about that first parable is in the first parable, the, the rich ruler or the rich owner is saying, okay, I, I want I want my money. I, I want this. And in, in reality, what God is saying to us is I've given you all this. Now I want you to go give it away. Right. <laughs> I, I want you to pour out your time and your money and everything that you have into other people that you might win friends with their unrighteous mammon. So go out and be radically generous. Give away what I've given you. I, you know, I don't want it back. I want you to pour it out for the sake of my kingdom to win people. And then the other side is, you, you, how does the guy win friends? He wins friends by going around and saying, hey, you know, you owed 100 measures. Well, let's slash that down to 50. And you owe 100 measures. Slash that down to 80. And God gives us this incredible privilege that we're to go out and win friends. And we, too, get to cancel debts. But we get to cancel debts with his permission. The whole world, every person on planet Earth, owes this infinite debt to God through our our disobedience and sin and everything else. We owe an infinite debt that we cannot possibly pay. And you know what the gospel allows us to do? As we go to a world that is crippled, you know, crushed under the weight of this debt and and say, God has chosen to forgive your debt, not 50%, not 20%. God is wiping all of your debt away. Yeah. And we get to win friends that will, you know, will receive us into eternal dwellings. Like we get to be the most generous people, not based on what we have, but based on what God has given us. He's given us so much to offer the world. And if we would make his mission 
more important than our own, and his treasure more important than all the unrighteous mammon and garbage of this world to go win people. We have the most beautiful things to offer this world, the cancellation of debt, radical generosity, freedom from all these terrible masters to serve him, a good God who ultimately just wants to share his glory with us. Like, why we need to be far more radical in the way that we're generous with everything that he has given us. And man, it's like, it's a gut check. I talk and as I'm thinking, I'm thinking, why am I, (laughs) why am, what keeps me from just being radical all out, you know, living for the king? It makes me want to be that guy. But, you know, the parables, as usual, are gut checks. You know, they say, why aren't you like that? What keeps you from getting that, you know, to that point? You know, and and in the end, when you stand before him and you say, hey, Lord, I took everything that you gave me and I, I did all that I could with it. And, and here, here's what I have for you. Here's what I've made for you. The Lord says, tell you what, good job. You keep it. <laughs> right? You know, I mean, the, 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 he gave the ten talents back to the first servant. You know, the, the servants that, that – that's uh, – I'm just saying it was a, a pretty cool thing. Yeah, um, I mean, you're still managing it for his yep. glory, but he's like, no, 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 you keep it. Yeah, keep keep on doing it. Yep. Like, how fun is that to yeah. to to work under a manager that's like that, yeah. <laughs> or yeah. to work under an owner who's like that? Yeah. He's just good, yeah. and he he's is. worth everything we got. Yeah. Well, that's a good word, and it's the one we're going to have to end on. Uh, we hope that you've enjoyed your time with us and this look at the parable of the unjust steward and the ten talents. You got the double header this week, a twofer. We were happy to be able <laughs> to do that for you. Um, if you'd like to correspond with us to uh, let us know something, question, thought, uh, comment that you'd like to make, our email address is out of water at riovistachurch.com. That's R I O Vista church.com which is also where you can find all the back episodes of the out of water podcast at riovistachurch.com slash out of water you can also find out of water on apple podcasts google podcasts and spotify as well as in our free rio vista church smartphone app sam and i will be back next week with another in the series he gave us stories and we look forward to seeing you then We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.